And now I'm always happy to introduce Mr. Warren Olney. Warren Olney. Warren Olney is the host and executive producer of KCRW's Which Way LA and To The Point. In 1973, he helped moderate a Los Angeles mayoral debate between Sam Yorty and Tom Bradley. He's been covering local politics ever since. Please give a warm welcome to Warren Olney and the two candidates for the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti and Wendy Gruel. I don't know whether I want to thank Gregory for that one or not. I, uh, as somebody just said, I've been busted. <laughs> I've been here for a while. But I'm delighted to be here. Uh, we're going to go at exactly 2 o'clock. We have about a minute and a half left. So, um, so everybody here lives in Los Angeles is going to go vote on uh, the May 21st. Is that correct? <laughs> All right. Okay. How many people have already voted absentee? All right. All right. Sig significant number. All right, so you will either, you, what if you change your mind? You're, you're, in, uh, you're in big trouble. <clears throat> As Gregory said, a lot of people have worked very hard to do all of this. We're not going to give all of them credit, but um, uh, we do appreciate their being here. And uh, they're, they're technical people, they're producers, there are uh, people back at the radio station that are listening and paying attention and making sure that the times are right. And... Uh, uh, we appreciate all their efforts, and of course, we appreciate very much all of you being here. And we appreciate the candidates being here. Yeah. <clears throat> Another 40 seconds to fill before we actually uh, go to the uh, go to the air. It's the longest time in broadcasting. There's no question about it. <clears throat> and the shortest time is right before you have to get off. I'll recite the rules, and you'll hear them as will the listening audience at the same time, so I won't bother to go over them now. There are not a lot of rules uh, for this debate. It's uh, pretty free and open. The race for mayor of L.A. and education. Hello again, I'm Mormon Alney, and this is a special edition of Which Way L.A., KCRW's ongoing series on the issues Southern Californians care about. We're in the Peterson Museum before a live audience in the Wilshire District before a debate between City Controller Wendy Gruel and City Councilman Eric Garcetti. They are the runoff election candidates, of course, for mayor of the city of Los Angeles. KCRW is very proud of today's partnership with Socolow Public Square, and we thank the Peterson Museum for the venue. We'll talk of many things in the next hour, but our first and principal subject is education. We have a full house, including a lot of people who come because education is what they want to hear about. We'll ask how the candidates propose to influence education when the mayor has no direct power under the city charter. What are their other priorities at a time of looming budget deficits? I'll be asking the questions. We don't have prescribed time limits except for opening and closing statements. During the rest of the program, we will try to maintain equal time with plenty of opportunities for interaction. About 15 minutes before the end of the hour, we'll take written questions that will be submitted by the audience. We'll start now with opening statements of 20, excuse me, of two minutes or less. And we'll begin with the city controller, Wendy Gruel. Thank you, Warren. Uh, and thank you to all of you being here and those that are listening. There's probably no other subject where my opponent and I differ more than on the issue of education. It's no wonder. He and I look at education from two different perspectives. 
I attended LA public schools my entire life and a graduate of John F. Kennedy High School and UCLA. I'm the only candidate who has a child attending Los Angeles Unified School District today. My opponent went to private school and eventually private college. And private schools are great, but they are not the reality for most of Los Angeles's children and families. Our public schools are in the state of crisis. I know the challenges we face because I'm fighting these battles with real time every single day. I believe in our public schools. I believe it is the greatest investment we can make in our future. I believe public education can be the great equalizer. I believe that we cannot have a world-class city without a world-class educational system. That's why I'm sending my son to public school. It's personal for me. I won't look at this issue as a politician, but as a parent. I have the support of education reformers and parent revolutionaries who want to break up that downtown bureaucracy and stranglehold over our neighborhood schools and put the power and money into the classrooms for local teachers, parents, and principals to be in charge, not bureaucrats or unions. So if you really want to see a mayor to make a difference in our public schools and not just talk about it, then put a mom in charge. Watch what happens. You want to see someone who's willing to fight for our kids? Put a mom in charge. You want to make sure our kids are safe away from gangs, guns, and child predators? Put a mom in charge. You want to make sure education dollars are getting into the classrooms? Put a mom in charge. I'm going to be the controller mom. And I'm not going to rest until I see every penny make its way to improving the quality of education for every child in every school in every neighborhood in Los Angeles. Yes, when it comes to this election, you have a choice, particularly on the issue of education. It couldn't be more clear. I'm proud to be a mom, and I'll be proud to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. City Councilman Eric Gar Garcetti, excuse me. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Warren. Thank you to the Peterson Automotive Museum. And thank you for the importance of talking about education. E education has always been the great equalizer for our society and certainly here in Los Angeles. And my family's story is no different. Uh, coming here, having a grandfather who was an immigrant with only an eighth grade education, who got into trouble when he was a young man. Were not for the army, he wouldn't have earned his citizenship and been able to turn around his life, become a barber and cut the hair of professors at a private university called USC. Um, a place where I used to go as a kid and sweep up the hair at his barber shop. A place where my dad played as a young man and was able to talk to those professors and get a scholarship to attend USC and to graduate, the first in his family to do so. My first job was as an educator at that same campus, uh, changing the lives of young people, something I've always had a passion for. It's something I'm sure I will return to as a teacher. So I've seen firsthand, keep in close contact with those students and know personally what this is like. And I think moms are great, and I love dads too. I happen to be one. I think that it's important for us to make sure that we have young people who have opportunities. I've been an LAUSD parent. Right now, my daughter's too young to be in school. She's only 16 months old, but she's what propels me in this campaign. She's what propels me in life, to make sure that she has the opportunities for a well-funded education system here, first and foremost, one that cannot be shortchanged by our state any longer. We cannot accept a California where we are 49th in the nation in per-pupil spending, and Utah is a cheaper place to live, so we're basically dead last. We used to be second in the country. This used to be a place that people were attracted to come to, to bring their businesses to, because we had the best schools anywhere. But you know, in the face of rhetorics and a resume, I have records and a result. The results of turning around neighborhood schools, using city funds uh, that often weren't ever used from the city in schools to build libraries and uh, athletic fields, to transform lives, to start programs like Cash for College to boost the amount of college scholarships and financial aid that we have. 
And I'm proud to have reformers and classroom teachers behind me because the division of this debate has to end where we demonize one side or the other and say, you're just out to privatize schools or you're just a union lackey. Teachers are the ones, this is Teacher Appreciation Day today. And I want to thank our teachers because they're the ones who change our lives. And this entire week, everybody should remember that teacher that's had that impact and say thank you to them. Hold them accountable, of course. Hold our principals accountable, of course. Get more funding. But I'm going to be the mayor that transforms these schools in Los Angeles and makes them cutting edge on innovation, technology, and getting our children ready for college and for careers. I'd love to have your vote and to be that mayor to make sure we continue that pathway of reform and results here in LAUSD. Let me ask you both, and I'll start with Ms. Gruel. The city charter does not give the mayor any power or any responsibility whatsoever for education. It doesn't even mention the word as it sets up the powers of the mayor. The LA Unified School District was separately created. It has its own, its own elected school board. The idea was to insulate education from the politics of City Hall. Uh, starting with Mayor Reardon, Mayor Villaraigosa, uh, and now your own campaign. Are you excessively politicizing education? Absolutely not. Um, uh, this is uh, one of the most important issues. The future of our city depends on a educational system that everyone has access to, no we matter what. We know that, but you don't have any which, power to do anything correct. about it. But, it. but if you think about the future of the city, um, and it shouldn't depend on your zip code what kind of education you get. Uh, if we have a, a city where our kids are dropping out, where right now many of our third and fourth graders are not reading at their level, uh, that impacts the future of Los Angeles when you have dropout rates. It's why when I worked for how Mayor Bradley... How do you Bradley, change it? What, how do you use the office of mayor to make a lots difference? Lots of ways. When I worked for Mayor Bradley, we created an after-school program, LA's Best, because we believed it was so important that what happened after school and in those campuses, it could impact the rest of the community. It's about not only, yes, helping elect good school board members that are going to be able to ensure that the dollars are going to the right place. It's advocating on the state level for more dollars. 49th in the country for per pupil spending is not okay. Making sure that the dollars are getting into the classroom and not into the bureaucracy is what we should do. Two, the partnership schools pushing forward, yes, charter schools, pilot schools, looking at ways in which we can have schools that are going to be effective because this is our future. Um, yesterday, in meeting with the 24th Street Elementary School, um, the young, you know, the parents there uh, talked about uh, the future of our city our children, and that's why they're fighting, fighting to make sure that they have a good educational system. And so I'm going to continue to be that advocate. I have stood uh, with um, not only uh, Mayor Reardon, uh, but Mayor Villaraigosa and challenging the status quo. And that's what we have to do because our kids' future depends on it. Okay, Mr. Garcetti, Ms. Grill says she would elect good school board members. She would advocate at the state level for more money. Uh, she would continue to operate the partnership schools. Mm -hmm which Mayor Villaraigosa was able to get control of because the elected school board gave him that authority. Is there anything you can do directly in, as far as education is concerned, given the fact that you have no powers under the charter, uh, other than what the school board allows you to do? Well, I refuse to accept that because there's no formal power that we don't have any informal power or financial power. And in fact, it's not just something that I'm talking about doing as mayor. I've done it as a council member. This is an economic issue, this is a civil rights issue, this is a health issue, this is a public safety issue, and though all of those are my responsibility as a city official and will be as mayor. Um, I'll give you an example, Warren. Let when me I first came first. in... I'll you said that you used city funds for schools exactly. uh, in the past. Would you use city funds now, take funds away from the school, the, the city uh, itself, which is in such terrible financial condition, and spend it's, them on the schools? It's an unfair frame, because the money that we use, for instance, every year, 
to combat poverty. It doesn't come out of our general fund, doesn't come from our police or our fire. First week I was on the job, Mount Washington Elementary School, which had never had a cafeteria, never had a meeting space, and never had a library, said, will you help us build one? Uh, Monica Garcia, I see here, Belmont High School with the, the need that we had to do at the athletic field as well, had a terrible athletic field that was just a bunch of dirt. I've refused to accept that, and I've gone into those schools, and we actually took anti-poverty dollars that would have gone to maybe something like a community center 12 blocks from a school, and I put it into a school. And at City Hall, it did ruffle feathers. It upset the status quo because they said, let the school district do that by themselves. That's not our responsibility. But I said, these children, these parents, these teachers, they're my constituents. Of course, they're my responsibility. So your responsibility to education that there. then is more important to you than your responsibility as mayor under the city charter? No, my responsibility as mayor is education. If, if I look at Mount Washington, what I got was a two-for-one. I got a school that improved, a community center built in a school, and those kids then had a library. Think about a park during the daytime. It's not used by many people. And yet, if it can be used by students during the day, and then in the afternoon and the weekends, that can become an asset for the community. For half the price, I've helped the school district and I've helped the city of Los Angeles. It's my responsibility to look at community across these divisions that have separated us for too long. We've built up walls around our schools and said, you're on your own, a little island floating out to sea. I refuse to do that. My record shows that we have gotten results where we have been able to use city money directly in our schools. Ms. Gurl, you said that you would elect good school board members. Uh, Mr. Villaragosa did that. That's how he got the uh, partnership schools in the first place. Antonio Sanchez and uh, Monica Ratliff are currently opposed for the uh, open seat on the board. Uh, are you supporting one or the other? Uh, yes, I support Antonio Sanchez. You do, why? Well, I think that uh, Antonio has demonstrated that he is going to be able to build consensus, going to be able to fight for our kids, going to be able to make sure uh, that he is going to get dollars into the classroom. Because one of the most important things that we can do is talk about what's in the classroom. It, it, as much as, and I supported not only uh, Creation of LA's Best, when we went to the school district, they said, it's none of your business, we don't want it, and we said, that's the wrong answer, and we pushed to do it. But it's also important to say that we've got to focus in on the classroom, because I see my son in a classroom of 35 kids, where last night, Ms. Simon sent an email saying, we don't have enough baby wipes and disinfectant, could you please make sure all parents bring something? So that's would you spend wrong. city money on schools, too? I, I believe that the money that we should use is an after-school program. We use after-school program, LA's Best. Um, I think the focus should be on making sure that Proposition 30 money that the voters voted for get into the classroom, get into the schools that was agreed to, that we look at the state legislature, we're a large a number, think we can have joint use programs and that we should focus in on that, but we have got to look at state and federal money. And one okay. of the things I would have done right, is I would have... Let me ask Mr. Garcetti, just, have one you last thing, one endorsed last thing. In, the, in the race? Uh, I've talked to one of the candidates and I'm due to talk to the other shortly, so stay tuned for that. I have the two yet. weeks left until the uh, election. We're, How come you're waiting so long? We're talking in 24 hours. I'm running for mayor right now, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you need to have the support of the school board in order to Absolutely. be able to do the things that you want to do? Even though you said you didn't accept the limitations of your office, and sure. and to do that, don't you have a uh, need to support candidates? Absolutely, and I have a, a track side. record of doing that. Good candidates um, that aren't just in one camp or another. I've had candidates that I've worked closely with, uh, people like Steve Zimmer, who I've worked with on after-school programs and helping prevent the dropout rate creating in East Hollywood right now something that's a drop-in center that is a family source center that puts the school's district's money together with the city's money, to your earlier question. Right now, somebody can go in and get after-school help, parents can get English classes, you can get job assistance, you can get computer training, all in one location, because again, we broke down those walls that separate us between the school and the city. You're all for Wi-Fi? Uh, actually, I think that the way the classroom 
is changing right now is one of the most important things I want to bring as mayor. I've talked for a long time about being Los Angeles' first high-tech mayor, and that's going to extend to the classroom. I've already talked to industry leaders in the technology sector about forming an advisory council, and I've talked to Superintendent Daisy about this. How about an iPod for every kid? I think it's a great idea. It allows you to do things like... $500 billion? Is it money it's there? An, absolutely. If we don't have our children keeping up with technology, in the old days, you go to shop class to get a factory job. Today, it's computer coding that prepares you to work for an internet company. We have to keep up with where the economy is going. We have to be cutting edge. We have to teach coding in the classroom. And we have to make sure that we are a high-tech classroom for things like blended learning, which allows a teacher to teach the same content to people who are at three or four le learning levels or reading levels so somebody isn't left behind or somebody isn't bored. Ms. Grill, would you support iPods for every uh, child at a cost of $500 million? And are you also okay with Wi-Fi? Mm -hmm. Well, I am okay with the Wi-Fi and the technology. Um, and, and look, we should always uh, make sure that we're looking at the latest uh, medical information uh, to ensure our children are protected. Uh, but this is real for me. Uh, my son is in a, in a classroom and does not have computers in each of those classrooms. Um, and in schools, many across the city of Los Angeles. Uh, but technology can allow, when you have a classroom of 35 kids, um, that those um, who are achieving at a faster rate will be able to use that technology to be able to succeed, and those that need help will be able to use that technology to, to garner even greater support. Before and we've, we seen, we've seen so many great programs. Uh, my son has one called GG Math, which gets kids excited about learning. And if we can use technology for kids to get excited, that's the little kernel we need to do in every school, in every classroom. Before we were interrupted, I was going to yes. ask you about the Partnership for Schools, which the mayor established. Uh, how would you do that? How would you handle that group of 22 schools differently from the way he has? Well, I think he's done a good job in creating those partnership schools. And one thing I did want to mention is uh, I would have supported um, a race to the top, the money. When you talked about money for our schools, uh, we lost money uh, in that effort, and that would have been a great way for our city to have had LA Unified School District. But when you look at how the partnership the, schools... How did we lose the money? Because this LA Unified School District did not apply for those dollars because they couldn't get an agreement uh, with uh, the labor leaders and to be able to do that, to apply for that because of evaluation components as part of that. And so and what I does that have to do with the partnership? Well, I didn't get to finish my comment earlier, so I just wanted okay. to say that that was right. part of the funding. When we look at how much funding we need, that's an important part of it. But when you look at the partnership schools, um, the fact is they're able to link up from elementary, middle school to high school and the importance of that. And so I supported the partnership schools uh, from the beginning. Uh, I didn't hesitate. Uh, just like Parent Trigger, just like other programs, I think that I've stood up and said we need to look at reform programs for our kids. We need to make decisions that are best for our children. So we'll continue that. That okay. is a nonprofit. I will have a deputy mayor in my office, a deputy mayor level, to continue to ensure that education is a top priority. All right. I want you, Mr. Garcetti, you to answer that question, but also uh, uh, what about the race to the top money? Uh, was that, in fact... Uh, sacrificed because of uh, what Ms. Grill described as a labor leader's objection. You're supported by the UTLA. It was a, a missed opportunity, and I lobbied members of the school board who ultimately were the ones to vote uh, for or not for that to put that forward because I think that that was wasted money. Um, just like we have right now, I think an opportunity with a waiver on No Child Left Behind to make sure we don't lose funding as well. How about um, the partnership? The partnership is something that's had great dynamism, and I just visited 99th Street School in Watts. Um, it's a great place that's had amazing progress. It's shown that, by the way, there is a labor contract in place and the freedom to be able to do the independent things a school needs to do. And we're seeing people being pulled out of charters, people being pulled out of private school to attend their neighborhood school because of the successes that it has had. I talked with teachers who had blended learning and iPads in the classroom and saw the impact of that. 
I talked importantly to teachers too about changing an evaluation system that isn't just about numbers, though numbers are important, but about teachers getting together to help each other improve and become better teachers. Just as I did when I was a teacher, I loved getting reviews because then you could sit down with your, the head of your department and your other peers and say, hey, what are you doing to deal with this challenge? How can we be better? What's the latest cutting edge thing that's happening? Parent college and the parent center that was at 99th Street School. I'd like to see that in all of our schools. I want to take the lessons that we have. Is that one that of the have, schools that's uh, among the partnership schools? Absolutely. And I want to take the lessons of the successful partnership schools and put them in our non-partnership schools too because every school should have parent college where parents can learn those lessons of how to be better participants in their children's lives. I saw these wonderful parents making posters before their kids are going to take the test next week that were saying, go Jose, go Maria, um, these wonderful cutouts, spending hours just to encourage their kids. You know what a difference that makes to a child to know that their mother or their father has made a poster like that that cares enough to be there? And I think that the partnership has done a great job of attracting private foundation money back into our schools and attracting the community back. We should do that with all of our schools too. Mr. Garcetti, uh, you once again are supported by the UTLA. Uh, teachers have taken cuts, they've been furloughed, they've been laid off. Is it time to restore salaries and give them raises? Well, I think across the board in America, we need to, it used to be that teachers started about, about the same Angeles. salary as a first year lawyer. And we have, in the, as a country, made this something that used to be the most noble thing to do. People would take you know, a pay cut. Now the disparity is even greater than it's ever been. But I want to see the reduction in classroom size be our first priority with new monies. That should be what we are focused on. I've seen as an LAUSD parent what it means to have a, a kid go from a 31 to a 44 person classroom and sit on the floor of a Spanish class. It's absolutely unacceptable. So that, that should be our first priority. So that comes before the increases in salaries? Absolutely. And I'm actually working with, believe it or not, we're working together because as we demonize teachers and the teachers' unions, there's a lot of forward-thinking people who want to sit down and they themselves say their first priority is reducing class size as well. Ms. Grill, how about that choice? Uh, look, I, every day, as I told you, that in our classrooms, we don't have the kind of resources that we need um, and, and living it each day. Uh, we have to focus in on getting the dollars into the classroom. Um, and so, no, we, we shouldn't move immediately uh, to, to do that, to, to raise the particular salaries. What our teachers want is the kind of support and local control. What they don't want is a bureaucracy telling them. And I, you know, Mr. Garcetti, I think very highly of teachers. Um, and so I think uh, it's unfair to suggest anything other than that. Because I know Ms. Mrs. Gugas in fourth grade who taught me, I remember Mrs. Gugas. She made a difference in my life. And Ms. Simon, who teaches my son now, a great teacher. What I want to make sure is that every teacher is the best teacher for these children. That we have an opportunity not only for evaluation, and yes, at my school, each of the teachers and the grade levels work together to improve. That's critically important because our children deserve no less. In my school, we now have an affiliated charter where 10 parents and 10 teachers are making decisions about what's going to happen and not the bureaucracy. We want to make sure, and Monica Garcia, who is here today, has helped make sure, and a supporter of mine has made sure that what we're going to do is what's best for the children and stood up and done that. And I would ask that it's great to ask the school board members if they would apply for the race for the top, but it wasn't the school board members that uh, ultimately, where it didn't work, it was you had to have the labor leaders. So I hope you will ask them to apply for that. Why did you to have to have the labor leader? They didn't because vote. that was part of what the application was required. The application required that the Correct. union go along and the union Correct. didn't go along, Mr. Garcetti? What about them? Uh, I did call Warren Fletcher as well and urged him to do the same thing. He's the head of the UTLA. So you lobbied as best you could? Absolutely. You lobbied as best you could. Okay. Um, what about um, the use of the uh, assessment examinations, or excuse me, the, uh, the standardized test for students 
uh, as a measure for uh, teacher assessment. How much should they be used and uh, should the results be made public as has been done by the, uh, with much criticism by the Los Angeles Times? Mr. Garcetti, why don't you start with that one? I think it's critically important to have numerical measures of our teachers and their success. It's also very important to have qualitative measures because having been a teacher, both of them were very important to me. It was important to learn how my students were doing and comparing them to other uh, professors and other folks that were teaching. But it was also important for us to be able to sit down and be able to deal with that data in a way that improved the teaching experience. You know, I'm in the United States Navy and we get assessed every single year. And anything short of being kicked out of the Navy is looked at as a learning opportunity. Would you want all of that to have been made public? Is that, should that happen with the teachers? I think, it's, everybody I know? think it's critical that, that uh, mm -hmm. parents and community members have accountability and know where teachers are, but that not be the only measure because sometimes we have schools that are surrounded by poverty, um, a high rate of foster children. So there should be accountability. Um, you would like to see then those test results made public and associated with the names of the teachers Oh, involved? I think it's fair, absolutely, for parents to be able to look at that. Okay. What do you say to them? Absolutely. I mean, I think that when you look at evaluation and support Superintendent Daisy, who is pushing forward on evaluations that include not only um, test scores, but peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, looking at principals, making sure that you're providing the appropriate resources to see each of those teachers actually uh, be able to improve when the kids are not doing as well. But it's also about looking at our parents and making sure that our parents are part of that solution. I know in our school, we've talked to those parents specifically uh, where their kids are not doing well and how we can help them. Because when we think about it, we need to make sure our, our parents are turning off that TV at night. We need to make sure that our parents are sitting down and reading to their children. We need to make sure that our kids are having not only in class, but also at home and giving the parents the tools that they need. Ms. Grill, so it's critically a, important, yes. There's a, a measure in Sacramento uh, that would expedite the removal of teachers who are accused of misconduct. Do you support that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Garcetti, do you support that? Yeah, I do as well. Okay. Let me ask you both. Um, you both indicated that you would spend enormous amounts of your time, energy, and even city money on education, despite the fact that it's not a part of your job as mayor. Um, <laughs> How much time uh, would, would you be devoting to education? Where would you put it as opposed to or, or uh, on, a, on a ranking with the other responsibilities that you do have under the city charter, such as police, fire, parks, uh, uh, street repair, all the other things that uh, are involved? Mr. Garcetti? I'm, I'm going to very respectfully uh, take a little issue uh, with, with how you frame the question because it's not my formal responsibility to care about or to work on a single business coming to Los Angeles as well. That's not in the charter. And yet our economy is critical to everything I want to do. Similarly, the success of education is fundamental to the success of this city. I will not have a prosperous economy and in turn will not have the tax revenues to provide the city services like police and fire and paving our streets and having our parks if we don't have kids graduating, if we don't have them going to school, if we don't have them going to college and career ready, we won't have a city. So this where does it stand then in terms of your list of priorities as opposed to those other things? My number one priority is turning around this economy and we're not going to turn around this economy without our schools. That means adult education, putting people back to work right now when they're unemployed. That means an early start for our children with early ed. And it means a comprehensive uh, school system that is going to make these children ready for college and make them ready for careers. I put an emphasis on vocational ed again, both for adults and for those that are in our schools. And if we do not do that, we're going to be back here in eight years from now at the next mayoral debate with two new mayoral candidates saying, why does our economy stink so much? Why do we have to make eight more years of cuts? It starts with the schools. Ms. Rule, what about your set list of priorities and where does education stand? 
It's a top priority. We talked about earlier. I mean, think the about the top. I'm um, sorry. The top or a top? Uh, a, well, a top uh, that when you look at Los Angeles, and you look at the fact that if we have a high dropout rate, what happens when those kids have nowhere to go? They're going to get into trouble. So we're going to spend more on public safety. If we have uh, a number of kids who are roaming around, businesses aren't going to necessarily move into an area because they think it's not safe. We need to focus in on ensuring that our educational system graduates the kinds of kids that we think are important for the future of Los Angeles. Jobs are number one. Bill Clinton, who uh, a couple weeks ago was here and we were talking about my race and talking about what would be important for Los Angeles and his support for me. And his, his quote that I, I used in introducing him was, there's no better social program than a good job. And we need to prepare our young people for the jobs of the future in Los Angeles. We need to create hubs of economic activity around our university systems. We have a dearth of engineers that are going into the programs that are here in Los Angeles. So there is a clear linkage between having a good educational system, kids who graduate, kids who can read and write, and having a thriving city, an exciting city about what's going to be. So education has to be a top priority. I'm going to be the education mayor. We started it when I worked for Tom Bradley of saying, what happens in, in LAUSD matters to the mayor of Los Angeles, okay. and that would be a top priority. You both talked about the economy and how important the schools are to the economy. Certainly the infrastructure is important to the economy. The Los Angeles Times has reported that city street repair in Los Angeles has a backlog of 60 years. <laughs> the reporter said that uh, some residents may not see any improvement outside the door on the street uh, until after they're dead. Uh, what, what are you going to do about that? The average grade that city streets are given is C. The city's goal is an average of B. That will cost $2.6 billion in new money. Mr. Garcetti, what are you going to do about that? Well, this will cost us money, and it's been 70 years of neglect on a, uh, as was said in that article, a system of streets that's enough mileage to put a 10-lane highway between here and New York, just to visualize how many streets we have to take care of. For me, I want to see in the first four years, my first term as mayor, that we do a comprehensive project looking at the rebuilding and repaving of our streets and our they, sidewalks. But the, the article Absolutely, yes, it's $2.6 billion. No, it has not been done. We have not comprehensively re repaved the streets. We wouldn't have them. We haven't repaved, back repaved them, but we've certainly studied the, uh, no, 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 the I'm, problem I, I, and determined that it would take $2.8 billion to do it. Where do you get say, the money? I didn't say a study. Let, okay. Hear me out, and I'll, I'm All more right. than happy to share it with you and everybody else here today. Okay. So, the way we have to do this is it's going to co it cost us about $375 each per year to repair our cars, whether it's blown tires, whether it's our axles, whether it's other things. I'm working together with a couple council members, and there's a variety of ways we may look at this. We're not set about how, but to do a comprehensive repaving the way that Houston did a few years back, where they repaved and rebuilt all of their streets, their storm drains, their sidewalks, their trees at the same time. Look, seven years of neglect. If somebody says, oh, we can just do it through fraud, waste, and abuse, my opponent said, if we could save $6 million here, we could have repaved Wilshire Boulevard. It was an accurate number about Wilshire Boulevard, but it didn't begin to attack the problem. And I'm going to be a straight talker to let people know this is going to cost money. If we want to do it for about a third of what it costs us right now to repair our cars, we could each pave all of those streets. But we have to figure out the best way to do that and to use some of the transit funds that we have right now through Measure R that are local return for paving streets. We can wait 30 years to do them, or we can accelerate them and do them in the first four can years that I'm Can you come up with $2.6 billion from Measure R funds? And if not, that will not single what, what other sources? We'll have to go be? either to initiative of the voters or look at some way that we can look at ourselves creating a district to make these pavings happen. Ms. Gruel, is it going to take a bond issue to fix the streets? 
I think the voters want to make sure we're spending our money appropriately before we do that and to look at what all of our options are. As one of my friends said, we live in a city where our rivers are paved and our streets are not. And that is something we need to change. Uh, because I don't care whether it's Wilshire Boulevard or it is Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley or Cesar Chavez, these streets have not been repaired. And unfortunately what has happened, it's been every single council district gets their little bit. It's in 15 different fiefdoms. Instead of looking at exactly where the streets need to be repaved and doing it in priorities. The or and article yes, indicated and I think that it is it's pretty much the same in all council districts, that there's really bad streets in a lot of them and there are really good streets in some, but not very many. And that overall, it's going to take $2.6 billion uh, in new money just to get the average up to B. Absolutely. What about it? Do we need a new bond issue? Is that going to be the only result? Uh, the again, only, uh, I, I think that we answer. have to look at every option and look at Measure R of funds and some of those and be able to leverage those, uh, potentially look at, at borrowing uh, against those Measure R. But it is important, and, and $6 million may not seem a lot uh, to my opponent, but $6 million is a lot. And what I said is we should cut the mayor's budget, which I will do by 25% and each council member to do the same. Because if you live in a street that isn't paved, $6 million is a lot. When I did an audit of the money we got from the economic stimulus, and the fact is that it wasn't spent quickly enough, it was supposed to be shovel-ready, took them six months to go out to bid. We can't do it with our existing funds, and we can't necessarily do it with all of the money that we might be able to find and how we're better efficiencies. But the public wants to make sure that you're doing everything right first before you go out and ask them for other money. That's my position. Let me start, uh, Ms. Gruel, with you with regard to the budget. Uh, the mayor's budget calls... Uh, for a freeze on a 5.5% salary increase that's scheduled for next to January. It also asks workers to pay 10% uh, more for health care, and it assumes that those things are, in fact, going to happen. Uh, union leaders are saying they've already made millions of dollars worth of sacrifices and salary reductions in other respects as well. They don't want to give up any more. Uh, is it going to be possible, do you think, to actually balance the budget in the manner that the mayor has proposed? Well, I, I have said that uh, we should not move forward on uh, those uh, particular uh, increases, that uh, we should look how at do you ways... How do you bring them to a halt, though? Right. You have to get union agreement. Uh, you have to get uh, union agreement and sit at the table. And the one thing is that you've seen in, in my endorsements in Los Angeles, I've received business support and, yes, labor support, both of which know that I'm going to be someone who's going to be able to solve the problem. Have your labor not supporters indicated that they would be willing to give up uh, what the mayor is asking, 5.5% I have, salary I have told increase them that that's the position I have and that um, I've asked them to be at the table to negotiate. So they know that I'm going to be a fair individual in working and making sure that we solve those problems. Because if the city cannot afford to be able to provide the services or keep the jobs then they're not going to have the jobs either. And I think that it is important, as I have demonstrated over the years, you have to be tough, you have to stand up, and you have to also make sure you're spending your money wisely. Mr. Garcetti, you're going to have to vote on this budget. Uh, do you think, in fact, that uh, it will contain the 5.5% salary uh, increase uh, or not? And well, will it have 10% more uh, for health care? Well, we still have about a $100 million uh, budget deficit that we do have to close. That can happen through givebacks on the, on the salary. It can also happen through the health care uh, payments that I've called for for months, uh, long before my opponent did, that I've actually also negotiated. And this is a real difference in the race, Warren. You know, I've done pension reform, not just talked about it, on current employees, on future employees. We've sat down across the table. This sometimes costs you and you pay a political price for it. But it was projected we'd be bankrupt in five years, just four years ago. Uh, we'd have a $1.1 billion deficit this year. It's $95 million as we 
do these deliberations. And I have the independence to be able to do that. Is 95 I, million, if, isn't that if you get the 5.5% raise canceled and if you get 10% no, contribution have, to health care? We have a $95 million deficit right now. If that money comes back, we actually have three different reserve funds that are also part of this budget. So isn't so that sort of a... Uh, one of them is equal to what those raises are. Right. Where is that As money it's been from? reported in the early times. It's already put aside. It's already there. So we have, we have a 95 additional deficit, million dollar additional deficit that we have to solve for this year. That absolutely could come in the form of givebacks and salary. I don't negotiate necessarily over the air, but it's a difference between me and my opponent that I have done these negotiations. And when she was on the sidelines, because she didn't want to do pension reform, and now she has $3.8 million led by a DWP union super PAC as a reward. You need a mayor who can be independent, who can do the work of making sure we balance the budget. I've done that in a respectful and tenacious manner, and that is the differentiation in this race. You can certainly respond to that. Well, there he, there he goes again. Um, uh, now, a couple of things that need to be very clear. Number one, if you look at the pension reform, and it's on the new employees, new employees that we're not hiring in the city of Los Angeles. Two, if you look at the fact of the Department of Water and Power, my opponent, who continues to, to like to uh, put them out there in the, the limelight, didn't, didn't do pension reform while he was president of the city council in the last four years. And in fact, stood up and gave them the, the raises in 2009 and said this was good public policy and gave them the raises. So at a time when he thought no one was looking, he did that. And now that it seems politically expedient, he can criticize them. I've been someone who has stood up on pension reform, has stood up and said we can do better, have challenged the city council to say it's not just uh, the new employees. We have to look at pension capping, pension spiking, double dipping, and yes, looking at the age of retirement. And I'm the person who can be able to do that. Let me ask but you I think about it is, I think it is, you know, it is a, a misnomer that my opponent who tries to say that he's not demonizing anyone, demonizes every day. And in fact, when he was the city council president and there was a Measure B ballot initiative, he got an email from the DWP consultant saying, will you stop a hearing from happening on a particular issue, a audit that was critical, critical of Measure B and DWP? And his response was, let me see what I can do. Okay, we've back it. and forth on but this I, issue I just, on I'm every asking, debate that you've been in I've for been the past him to several answer that days. Question. Mr. Garcetti, you can respond to that one. Sure. Mm -hmm. A few different things. The facts are clear. First of all, we have done pension reform on our current employees. But did you send that memo? Did you, in fact, say that? Ms. Perry, who was the, ch who was the chair of the committee, said nothing was done but on that's my her behalf. Response. What about, what's your and response? I did not did go to her and ask her to do no? nothing. And Ms. this is Rich coming from Ms. Gruel, who was just cited and has an ethics investigation using her city email for giving a report to her own campaign consultants before she gives it to the city council and the mayor, which okay. he's responsible for all doing. Right, let's talk about so the So let's budget. go back to pension reform, and I'd be happy uh, to talk about right. that. Let's talk about the budgets uh, and future budgets, not just the budget that's coming up next. It's my understanding that uh, revenue uh, is assumed to grow, the revenue that's invested in the uh, pension plans uh, at 7.75% per year. Uh, Warren Buffett says that if he could get a guarantee of 6% a year, he would give all his assets to whoever uh, could provide that. And Moody's says that it's much more likely that it's going to be uh, in the neighborhood of considerably less than that, 3 or 4% uh, growth. Isn't it based on, uh, on, on funny figures that, that simply aren't going to come true? Uh, and if that's the case... Uh, won't there be b deficits of hundreds of millions of dollars in the future? And if so, how long can we go without a tax increase? 
Uh, well, I have uh, proposed, and I, um, hopefully everyone either got this in the mail or will uh, look at it, and those listening, uh, Leading Los Angeles Forward on my website. Um, when you talk about the pension systems, one of the things that we have looked at um, is the fact that we are spending $150 million dollars uh, for fund managers. Talk about the assumption that it's going to grow and provide you, revenue to the city at a certain rate, well, which seems to be what out I'm of suggesting out of this perspective is that we spend about 68 percent more on fund managers than than like pension systems. We could save just conservatively 40 million dollars if we reduce that by 25 percent. 40 million dollars, which would allow us to see a greater response um, to that. Potential but I think it is looking in the future at the, of hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I agree, and that's why, one, we're looking at two, we do every five years a review of those pension systems to see if they're operating in the okay, manner which they do and the return. Okay, if you chip away at them 40 million at a time, how long is it going to be before you have to have a tax increase? Well, we want to be able to make sure that they are achieving that 7.75, that, that uh, smoothing. You think it will? I, I don't think it will over each year. I think that um, it was projected to be 7.5 so at one point. how long does it last? How, can, you're going to be mayor for four years, review, presumably. I think we have to review each year the actual return on that investment and to see. But when you have fund managers that are making that much money, if you can save $40 million, the difference between it going from 7.75 to 8 this year was, in fact, about $50 million in the difference between what they had anticipated getting. Okay. So I, I just think want there to are remind numbers. our radio listeners they are listening to a debate uh, between Wendy Gruel and Eric Garcetti. We are at the Peterson Museum in downtown Los Angeles, or in the Welshire District, I should say. Uh, Mr. Garcetti, what about it? Uh, are these unrealistic projections? Uh, is the budget going to be uh, then uh, pretty phony in that, in that regard? And if that's the case, uh, how can you maintain what services we have, let alone improve those that have been cut yeah. without a tax increase? Well, let me, let me answer the question directly, Warren. It is too high. Um, it's part of the reason that I've said our work is not done, even though we are close to the point today of balancing the budget. In future years, we'll have a, another deficit if we don't finish off the work of pension reform, if we don't continue to get, as I've called for for months, a small out-of-pocket payment for our health care to help defray those costs, as I've negotiated. I'm the only person on the stage to have done that. Well, you, you may have done it, Warren, but I, I know between me and my opponent. Um, and to make sure that we have to if the ability... So if only you had. If, but we need the ability also, when you ask the question, will we have to raise taxes? Only if we don't grow our economy. So if we don't make these changes on pension reform, if we don't do these changes on the cost of our health care, then yes, we will have to make cuts. But that's why my emphasis on growing this city's economy is so critical, because otherwise we'll come back and look at you know, either making more cuts or a tax increase, and I'm committed, if the economy doesn't get worse, to not doing either. We have some questions from our audience, and let me start by asking Mr. Garcetti, uh, you the first question, because I have, uh, according to our time calculations, you're a little bit behind. Okay. Uh, audience wants to know, or a person in the audience wants to know, more students of color uh, are suspended than are uh, other students. Do you support legislation to remove the police from disciplinary matters in the schools? I think in general we need to decriminalize uh, things like truancy, where in the past we've given students tickets, those who are already headed down a road where we've all been teenagers and going through tough years and not sure what's going to happen. The moment we start giving them tickets and criminalizing them, we basically shove them out of the school door, when the responsibility should be to bring those children back in. 
I work with school board uh, member Zimmer to go out and there's a program in Hollywood where we literally knock on the doors of those kids that aren't in school. And we incentivize them both with, yes, there are going to be some consequences if you don't, but we also use a little bit of honey to bring them back, to let them know, you know what's going on at school or there's a field trip that they'd qualify. Because for different kids, it takes different things, and we cannot afford to have those sorts of dropouts. So, so I'm absolutely... Less involvement by the police then? Less de decriminalize truancy, decriminalize those things, and less involvement from the, um, from the police, because these are young people whose lives we have to turn around instead of putting them towards a criminal justice system. Ms. Grewal. I believe uh, and, and support there is uh, this next week uh, before the school board um, an effort to decriminalize uh, truancy and the importance of uh, making sure that our kids um, have the greatest opportunity because a lot of our children are being expelled not for violent crime uh, but I think for uh, some decisions that are taking the kids away from them being able to be in the classroom. Um, and one thing that is important and I just want to note because I Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but in the, when the pension systems were considering going to the 7.5 um, that uh, you advocated to keep it at the 7.75 um, and uh, the council advocated to keep it at that 7.75 at that number that, that you now deem unrealistic. Yes, the mayor and I both did in the midst of a recession. We said let's do it a year later so that we don't have to cut services further. Okay, Mr. Garcetti, 18-year-old um, student at the LA Center for Enriched Studies in a jazz band says, what do you plan to do to foster divergent thinking within the NCLB model? No child left behind. Um, well, first of all, thank you. As a jazz musician, I love the, the question. Um, and as somebody who is a big advocate in terms of arts education, as, as a side note, we have to bring arts education and music education back in the classroom. It's something that will be a priority for me as mayor. But in terms of the not, no child left behind model, look, this was uh, legislation passed uh, during George W. Bush's time in office. Uh, there's a couple things that I like about it in terms of accountability, but there's such a lack of flexibility. It threatens our state right now. There's, I think, 30-something states that have had um, waivers right now away from that because if they're not performing, they're going to lose federal funds. Well, some states are poorer than others. Some districts have bigger challenges than others. And while the state did not successfully apply for that waiver, I support the district banding together with other districts, low-performing districts in the state, getting a waiver so that we don't punish these children. Can you think about this for a second? We take a school district that already has less funding than any place else and is not performing well because of it and say, let's punish them and take funding away so they can learn their lesson. That doesn't seem right, and I will fight against that. Can I ask you another question, or do you want to hear the... No, no, I... Respond to that same one. Um, restaurant owner in Lamert Park says, what would you do to simplify the process of opening a small business and encourage business in Los Angeles? Great, and just, uh, I do want to respond that I think that uh, we do have to do the waiver for the No Child Left Behind and the importance of that and for the dollars and to ensure that we have the flexibility to provide for our residents of Los Angeles and our students. Uh, I'm a small business owner. I have a business that my grandfather started 66 years ago, a building supply company, and own that business today. Restaurant owners have come to me in my old district and said, if you could just give me the same inspector yesterday, tomorrow, I'd be great. Um, that this is a city where we are made up now of entrepreneurs and small business from all over the city of Los Angeles. So we need to have an office of small business so that people can, in fact, be able to get into uh, the city without feeling like they have to hire someone to get through the, the maze of the city. 
I'm proud to have been the architect of business tax reform that said if you are a new business in Los Angeles, number one, we're going to extend it for a greater period of time where you have no business tax. Number two, that get rid of the gross receipts tax and limit that to make sure if you are a small business of $100,000 or less, you no longer uh, pay business tax in the city. Okay. We are a city of small business. We have to create that entrepreneur spirit. And as mayor, I'm going to continue that and have as the only one on this, on this uh, day is here uh, that has had a small business and understand what it means to sign the front of the check and the back of the check. But you're not the only one that wants to get rid of the gross receipts tax. Uh, Mr. Garcetti, can I ask you another question or do you want to... Can I chime in real quick on that? Sure. Just, you, know, yeah. uh, you can see the results in my own district of how we've supported small businesses on the streets of Hollywood, Silver Lake, Echo Park, the most vibrant small business districts in the city, number one in job growth. And we've done that also right now for the person who asked the question. You can go to my website, my official city website, cd13.com, and see License 123, something we did with an internet startup here in Los Angeles called DocStock, where you can, with three clicks, get all the permits you need at the city, county, state, and federal level in one place. Instead of going to 15 different locations, spending months to try to find them, it's an example of the sort of leadership and technological innovation you will see when I'm your mayor. Uh, quickly, Mr. Garcetti. Uh, what would you do, what have you done to prevent entertainment jobs from leaving the city? We've got several questions on that Absolutely. on our Facebook page as well as from the audience Well, here. as the co-architect co of uh, business tax reform initially with Ms. Gruel and, and the author of 15 additional measures since, one of the things we did was lower the business tax on our creative professionals here in the entertainment industry. Second, as somebody who's worked in the industry and somebody who's a SAG member, somebody whose father works in the industry right now as well, post-DA life can be even more interesting than, than DA life. I've seen the impact in my neighborhoods, and one of the things I put forward this year was to make filming of television pilots free in the city of Los Angeles. We're about to vote on it, but it would waive 100% of our permits and fees, and if you get picked up for your first year, we would make it free as well. And then lastly, I passed and authored the resolution at City Hall that would have taken, right now, the state tax credits, which are good but too low, only 100 million, and expand them to either 500 million like New York State does or lift the cap altogether because every dollar that we give in credit brings a dollar back to the state budget and many more dollars when that florist, when that dry cleaner, when that restaurant caterer is able to benefit. We're splitting the city apart and you can see the results of how I brought the industry back to the neighborhood of Hollywood. I will do that as mayor with a film czar downtown as well. Ms. Grill, we're uh, beginning your uncharted time. Uh, audience member wants to know that uh, since the mayor is on the MTA board, has uh, several appointments, of course, to that board, uh, how would you use that power now to try to expand public transit in Los Angeles? That's a, that's, we could spend the entire uh, we could. We could. debate and on that. And entertainment industry. I'm, I'm so proud that uh, as someone who uh, not only worked at DreamWorks Movie Studios but served on the State of California Film Commission, fighting for the tax credits for the last 10 years to make sure that we actually have them. So those tax credits that we want to see expand, I've actually been pushing for and been part of uh, for the last 10 years and the importance of keeping the entertainment industry here. But when you think about our transportation system, uh, we live in a city where there isn't a seamless public transportation system. As chair of the MTA at one point in time as mayor of Los Angeles, I'm going to be able to make sure that our dollars are spent so we have a subway to the sea, that we have a Crenshaw line, and that yes, we go under the 405 to make sure that the valley is not left out of this transportation system and get to the airport. And where does uh, I'm the money come the from? This? this is going to be with Measure R, uh, Measure R dollars. All Measure um, R dollars. Measure R dollars, and also making sure we get further dollars from the federal government. I'm proud to have the support of Senator Barbara Boxer, who we've talked about. How do we get additional dollars for Los Angeles? Looking at public-private partnerships, some of these proposals to be able to move forward. This is about job creation and about making sure we have that transportation system. And I've been someone who fought not only for Measure R, but Measure J from the beginning 
and ensuring that we had that for the residents of Los Angeles. Because this is not only about transportation. It's about quality of life. It is about making sure that you are not a prisoner in your own home west of the 405. It is about making sure that you can get where you want to go without having the stress of doing that. Mr. Garcetti, do you have any substantial differences with uh, Ms. Grill on that issue? Yes, yeah, so, well, some things that are different. I would pick up the phone every single day as mayor on the 405 and talk to the construction company the same way that Mayor Reardon did after the earthquake and speed that project up and get it done. I would make sure, too, that we're looking at five specific lines, extension of the Wilshire line, making sure the Crenshaw line gets done, hooking up the green line with LAX, a north-south connector, and a transit tunnel through the 405, which would have been much wiser than widening the 405 freeway, and making sure that we also have the connectors so that it's the neighborhood buses that help you do the errands that you need to and connect you with the main lines, and a real emphasis on biking and walking. 20% of our trips are pedestrian trips, and we seem to ignore pedestrians in the city of Los Angeles. As, as a Metro board member and as chair, I'll put an emphasis on walkable communities, which has been such a successful part of my district's come about. Uh, turn around. Uh, final question, I guess, um, from somebody in the audience who says that the campaign has become so neg negative and wants to know how I can believe you will take this job seriously. Um, Ms. Grill? Well, I have to say that um, my opponent was the first to have a negative website. My opponent was the first to send a negative mailer, first to send, um, uh, have a press conference negative, and uh, today went up with one of the most despicable, uh, I have to say, TV ads, and wants to say that he's going to be above it. And if you look at the Cruella DeVille um, ad that also uh, went up uh, that compares me uh, to a number of people I don't even want to mention. This is about ideas. This is about an opportunity for us to talk about the future of Los Angeles. In the debate on, on Sunday night, I said, I want to talk about what I'm going to do in my first 100 days because it's important. But I will not also sit back and have attacks made about my integrity because I've been a good person who's focused in on the issues and been a tough fiscal watchdog okay, in Mr. the city Garcetti, of Los Angeles. Your turn. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ms. Thank you. Um, I don't want to get into who started this because in December, uh, Ms. Gruel and behind closed doors started saying, who can you trust pointing at me and went after me? Somebody who I consider a friend, I'm sure we'll be friends afterwards. It's probably not the high point of our friendship this week, but we are somebody, I believe in her. I believe in her commitment to public service. I've not had mailers like she has done dressing me up with hats and giving me nicknames and putting me on Oscar statuettes, which looked, I thought, pretty good. I worked out a lot there. But the fact of the matter is this in the race, and this is not negative campaigning, this is facts. $3.8 million, a brand new record, has been spent led by the DWP Union Super PAC. Just to put that in perspective, they have now raised more money in this campaign than Ms. Gruel has raised in the runoff. That is distorting to democracy, and it isn't about whether you're a union or a company. A company could do it, and it would be just as despicable. But it is wrong. We have always used facts from the Los Angeles Times. For instance, when they said $160 million identified in fraud, waste, and abuse wasn't there. Only 240000 has been brought to city treasury by Ms. Rule's audits. Um, I have taken four or five weeks, if they're so despicable, of attack ads from her, attack ads that were taken off the air by three channels because they didn't even have the proper disclaimers on them because you have to admit when you're attacking somebody and they hit her name and her face, I'm willing to win this on the merits of it. I know it gets tough, but as Ms. Gruel said, I've been under attack for eight weeks, and it's finally time we stood up in the okay. last two weeks, and we'll also continue to present, though, the vision that we, we have, have in the record We have you equal on time. You both have closing statements. Uh, we'll now begin uh, with Wendy Gruel to make the first closing statement, and it will be two minutes or less. Mm -hmm. Well, on a defining issue, 
um, not about demonizing, uh, a defining issue for the city of Los Angeles, your choice for mayor could not be more clear. If you're looking for a candidate who is going to fight to ensure that every child in Los Angeles has a great school and a great teacher in every classroom, regardless of their zip code, I'm your candidate. If you want a city leader who's going to be an advocate for parents and their power to transform their child's education, then I am your candidate. If you want to see a mayor that's going to challenge failed policies and take on the status quo, and yes, I will take on the status quo, always putting our children first. When we look at race to the top, when we look at teacher tenure, when we look at dismissal, I've been very clear, as I have on Parent Trigger, and haven't changed my mind from one day to the next. I have incredible memories from my time in public school, Knollwood Elementary School, Frost Junior High, and John F. Kennedy High School. And that foundation has allowed me to be the leader that I am today. And my son proudly goes to a public elementary school. I was lucky, my son is lucky. We have a good school that has the right kind of teachers and parents and the principals to make a change in our schools. But when we have a school district where only 43% of our third graders are reading and writing at their grade level, something's wrong. When we struggle with a high school graduation rate of less than two-thirds and we're second to last in the per-pupil spending, something's wrong. And as your mayor, I'm going to demand better. And yes, I'm just not going to make a phone call to, a, to a, a union that has supported me and said, oh, I tried. I'm going to make sure that they actually stand up and do something with it. I'm going to make sure that we get a solid education so that our children have a chance of succeeding. So I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to make sure everyone is held accountable, as I have as the city controller. I will fight to free our principals, teachers, and parents from the downtown bureaucracy and give them the local control that they need and flexibility. I'm going to fight for more choices for our parents, not just when it's politically expedient, but when it's the right thing to do. Your two minutes are and up. I just I'm going to have to go to so, uh, Mr. Garcetti. You. Uh, you have two minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Warren. And all the fighting aside, thank you very much to Ms. Gruel. Uh, it's an honor to be here on the stage with you. It's an honor to run for this office and to seek your vote in the next two weeks. And for those of you who absentee, have absentee ballots who may be deciding as we speak, I'd be honored to be your next mayor. And I'm running for mayor on a record of results. Results you can see with your eyes. Whether it's the schools that are in my district, where we've refused to let walls divide the city and our campuses, or whether it's the business districts, the jobs that we've created on the streets of Sunset Boulevard, Natwater Village on Glendale, you can see these. These aren't just plans for the future. They're real, they're tangible. They've had citywide significance and they've gotten national attention because my leadership model is to make sure that we listen first to communities, whether it's a school that we want to turn around by helping build a garden in that school together. I've been out there digging up that asphalt and making sure that children feel excited to come to their school, whether it's helping high school students fill out their financial aid forms with Cash for College, a program I helped start, which is now the largest college scholarship program in the country, we're boosting the numbers of kids that are going to college so they can have the same pathway of success that my family did. Whether it's looking at a school like Mount Washington Elementary School that today does have that library and does have a place on a rainy day to eat indoors, or whether it's making sure that we prepare children for success and adults to be lifelong learners, just as when I saved Van Nuys Aviation Mechanics School, something that was going to get kicked out and, and uh, killed off because of cuts from the state government. I have shown that I'm running for mayor, not just on a resume, not just on rhetorics, but on results. I also do believe that there is a difference in this race of making tough decisions. It's not easy to do things like pension reform. It's not easy to take a stand on things like LAX. It's not easy to go and say how you feel about a community plan update. But it distinguishes me and my opponent that I have made those decisions. We're not going to agree 100% of the time when I'm your mayor, 
but you will always have the faith that I'm coming at this for the right reasons, that I believe fundamentally in the worth of every child in our schools, and that I'll take the best lessons from our charter schools that are successful, our pilot schools that are successful, and our mayor's partnership schools, and regular ones, to ensure no child ever has a bad school and this will is all the time always we have, prepared but for Wendy the future. Grill and Eric thank you very much. Thank you very much for being on our program.